Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Someone shouted across the car park that they're at you yeah. that they enjoyed the podcast. Yeah. How weird is That's that? That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely to get shouted at. <laughs> in a nice way. <laughs> Instead of run forest, it's always good. Well, I had someone at the school pickup tell me that they like the podcast. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, they know my wife and I think I saw one of the children with me and sort of put two and two together. And they said that their friend had put them onto the podcast. Fuck. Um, and they liked it too. Um, and yeah, she said she's only like 5K runner or whatever, but... Um, Obviously, something in there that's that's relevant to them. It's not, you know, yeah. not just how weird. People like to police themselves all day, so it's a bit weird, but yeah. it's good. Oh, uh, I asked him if there's any big names he wants to share, and he he, he said you you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're talking about the start list for the art. Yeah. That, should we just? I mean, we've just, yeah, just rolled into the, yeah. yeah, we are recording. We're already recording. So this is an episode about the arc of attrition, which at the time of release is 10 weeks exactly i just worked out um to the so, day yeah so this is going out mid-november and the race is on the 20 oh wait no 20 when we tell me 20 it starts on the saturday doesn't it it starts on the friday oh does it start on the friday yeah unless you want to like really make up time and everybody else really sprint for the finish well no if i start yeah if i start Give on saturday, a handicap. I <laughs> might be coming in we'll probably finish end. together though a couple of cups <laughs> i don't know i think some of those earlier cutoffs might be a challenge uh, without a time machine um so it's friday at what 11 a.m no <laughs> shall i give you a lift to the start just to make sure you get there um might be an idea <laughs> 12 o'clock uh we have to get a oh. bus actually so we all get there at the same time yeah 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 so it's um, usual thing me at the um eco park at, at port town uh, port town go to the toilet a lot do your kit check. Um, make small so yeah, for those that, that don't know, this this is a kind of a marquee local race. Um, one of the biggest in the in the southwest, and certainly one of the biggest winter ultras in the UK. Uh, it's a hundred miler um, all along the coast path, down past Lands End. Um, it's a mud crew race, and and we're both running it again. We're both doing the hundred. You've you've changed your discipline from the the fifty back to the hundred, and you podiumed two years ago on the hundred. So yeah, you, you, like you said before, you, you've clearly forgotten how much pain and suffering is involved and, and we're back again. Yeah. Um, the, the suffering does fade, doesn't it? Um, and I don't know, I, I, I would have, I, the 50 would have been good to do as well, but I feel like I can do better on the hundred. Um, like both, I can probably put in a better performance on the hundred, and I can better my previous time on the hundred. Um, I I look back at that race, 
and look back at my pacing last time and I, I went out pretty fast at the start chasing down Steve Wyatt which never quite happened um and I you know I, I paid for it towards the end um you know I did so much walking in that that sort of last third and I, I think to myself hmm you know I don't think I need to walk that last third I think I probably can run it and, and put in a better time and it's like the first time you do it and there will be people listening to this perhaps who've never done it before it's difficult to sort of put a gauge on what time you expect you know how fast you can run you know a particular route um, or a particular particular section of the coast path perhaps and maybe you've done 100 miles before and you know how fast you can do that but it's really difficult to sort of create a kind of pacing strategy and a kind of you know, a pace coefficient based on all those factors without actually getting out there and doing it. Because, you know, once you've done 70 miles on the coast path, um, those, those final 30 aren't particularly appetizing. Um, and there's no telling what sort of condition you're going to be in when you get to that. So, um, I, 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 and a lot of people listen to this, I'm sure now have the benefit of having done it once, or, and some people have obviously done it quite a few times. And so now looking at it, with that sort of benchmark, personal benchmark, I can look at, I can sort of explore ways in which I can improve upon that and do better. Um, and you know, that's, that's one benefit of, of the, the last two years and having done it before. And the other is that I'm, I'm a better athlete now as well. Um, so combine those two things together, as long as nothing goes dramatically wrong, um, I'm hoping to be able to put in a good time. Yeah, it should be, I mean, I think a lot of people have moved on over the last two years as well um, and found the the lack of races has, has forced a lot of us to really look inwardly at our training and, and how we develop because you haven't had that that external gauge to, to put yourself against. And so a lot of people, um, certainly ones that I, I know and run with uh, regularly, have looked really deep inside and said, right, okay, this is the training I need to do for this without any external pressures, without any kind of, uh, external gauges and, and just, you know, laid down some serious miles, um, some serious external training, you know, all the stuff that we've talked about, uh, strength and conditioning training, uh, flexibility and, and range of movement training and all this stuff. So lots of people have had a long time to prepare for this race. And I think it's going to be, a, a, I think a lot of people are going to do some really good performances this year. I certainly hope that we both will. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. it's been a long time. So this is your third crack at it. Um, what, from your perspective, is going to be different? Well, I'm going to finish for a start. Um, that's the big change. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, oh God, everything's different. It feels like um, I I I'm, I feel unrecognisable from the person that did it two years ago. In all honesty, I just don't, I, I look back now and I think, what was I thinking? You know, it, I would have scraped to finish if it hadn't have been for vomiting possibly, but, um, and the hypothermia, but, um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I look back now and I think, Christ, I've done more vert than I ever have. I've done more miles than I ever have. Um, I've really focused on, um, a lot of restorative, uh, measures. I've done more yoga in the last two years than I've ever done. Uh, I do a lot of yin yoga um, and just kit wise as well, you know, just everything's, everything feels very focused this year. Um, I feel like I'm, I just, I, 
it feels like a fade complete almost. I, I'm ready. It's just a matter of now of going out and running for 30 hours. That's my target. I want to do it between 29 and 30. Um, I know my average pace is that I want to be at, at, at certain points. My overall average pace for the race, I know where I want to be at certain times, what that pace should be and how it tails off. I just feel more prepared than I've ever been. I've wrecked the, you know, the entire route this year, pretty much everything I need to anyway. So um, me and James Turner went out on Sunday and ran um, Cape Cornwall to St. Ives just to kind of see what that terrain's looking like at the moment. Lovely section, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I sent a picture to Vassos, actually. I said, this this lies in your future, except you won't be able to see it. It's like Mordor down there, isn't it? Um, it really Mordor is. Mordor by the sea. Mordor on sea. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. I do love that bit. Of course, you know, um, I mean, it depends how fast you go, but a lot of people, some people will be doing a big chunks of that at night. Um, so you don't really even get to see how gruesome it is. You just kind of one step at a time, put your foot in the right place, mm. try to ignore the mud, keep going. Um, I mean, I did that whole bit. At and the rocks, you know, as you... Yeah, it's, it's, I think I'll be going through around, I should be going through pending just prior to five, I think on my timing sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that puts me in a really good place for the 30 hour then. Um, but you, yeah, you go through it at night and you just need a, a, a head torch that's going to turn night into day to, to level the playing field really. Um, and it, you know, I, as, as many people have said before, I, I think it's kind of a, a benefit sometimes at night, not to be able to see that, that massive landscape. Um, so yeah, that you can just, um, focus on, on that 30 feet in front of you without thinking, oh, you know, that climb's coming. I've got to take that on. It's, it's so much better just to think smaller and smaller and smaller and, and just have those smaller goals of just getting through this bay and then getting through that bay without seeing that epic, uh, you know, series of bays lining out in front of you. Yeah. The, I mean, the pending section is an interesting bit and uh, because a lot of people say that, you know. If you crack that, then you've cracked the race. Um, the cutoff at St. Ives um, is considered to be sort of one of the tougher ones to make, isn't it? Um, and if you do make it, then I, th- I think if you make the cutoff at St. Ives, then you're extremely unlikely to not make it to the finish um, because you get, you're given quite a, a bit of time there and, and the terrain gets a lot easier, at least until right towards the end. Hmm. You could walk, conceivably, you could walk at a normal pace and still finish after St. Ives. Uh, you just have to keep moving. But like you say, you've got those hills at the end. Um, Portreath to um, Porth Tower is, is not an easy it's section on fresh legs. Down. Yeah, it's very up and down. There's some very steep climbs um, on that section, um, which aren't to be underestimated. I absolutely beasted myself on that bit on, the, on two years ago because... I found out that the guy in fourth place was chasing me down and, and gaining on me quite quickly. And I was more or less walking um, <clears throat> after the dunes, uh, dunes of doom, which had just passed hail. Um, dunes of doom aren't that bad, by the way. I was going to say, how did you walk. get on with them? Everybody does make them out to be horrific. But ah. if you follow the big grey stones, it's not too bad. I really don't think it's that bad. Um, no. I mean, running on sand, of course, is never that much fun. But you're not really running at any great pace at that point anyway. And that trail is um, quite compact. I yeah, thought, it's not like you're compact. running on soft sand. And there's no big climbs, you know, it's just up and down a little bit. Mm. And in a way, you know, the sort of descending on sand sort of cushions you a little bit so it's not too hard on the joints. Um, I, I think it's good. And I think it's nice to have 
distinctive landmarks or distinctive terrain dotted around this race you know it's considered to be a coast path ultra and of course most of it is on, on well it's all coast path in you know in air quotes but some of that coast path is um pavement it's road mm-hmm. um you know some reasonably decent sections of it um you know all the way through st ives there's a bit of trail between st ives and hail then all through hail um is road road running um, Marazion to Newlyn or Mausel, you know, it's, it's a yeah. horrible road section. I mean, I don't know, what's that like, ten k or something like that, twelve k, something like that is 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 basically pavement road. Um, yeah, eight miles. Know, yeah, so um, you know, there are bits like that that break it up, and whether you like, whether you prefer to run on road or coast path or sand dunes or grass. Um, it doesn't really matter because you're going to get a little bit of all of that. And I think that's quite nice because you can, uh, like, for example, uh, you know, when you're, uh, let's think about this, when you're coming um, after Port Levin, heading towards Marazion, and you're like, right, okay, I've been on Coast Path nonstop now, except for Port Levin for the last, whatever it is, like four or five hours. Um, can't wait for the road. You get to the road, heading to Penzance, and by the time you get past Newland and up to Mazel, you're like, "Oh, thank God!" Yeah. Uh, you know, back onto trail. So yeah. that, in, in a sense, makes the whole experience that little bit more palatable because there's always a change coming eventually. Um, so some of those changes do take a long time. I mean, probably the, I guess the longest section is probably from Mazel to um, St Ives, where it's. I think bar of maybe a hundred, two hundred meters here and there. It's it's coast path the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got the little section through Senon, which goes back to road, um, yeah. and that is pretty much it. Yeah, maybe a little bit by Cape Cornwall where you run up the road, but yeah, otherwise it's it's all trail, and it's and it's arguably I would say there are three three really tough sections in this race. One is the bit after Porth Levin, the four miles around Rincey are quite steep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and get chewed up quite quickly. That's tricky. Then you negating or, or taking out the road section, which I personally dislike immensely. You have the bit between Mausel and Minak, which I think is quite challenging, an eight-mile section there. Yeah, it's hard. And then I quite like the bit through to Pendine um, from Land's End. Senen is on you before you know it. You leave Land's End and you're in Senen. You know, straight yeah, away. that section's nice actually. Um, mm. I, I, I I like that as well. I th- I actually quite like either side of Lands End. Um, I yeah. know I know that Ferg the RD thinks that um, Minak to Lands End is really tough. I don't think it's that bad. Certainly oh, I like bit, that bit. Yeah, I certainly think um, the bit before Minak is much harder. Yeah. Um, and getting up the steps into Minak itself, I really really suffered on that. It's um, a bit of a pucker factor on that one. Um, it's you know, you're climbing up those steps in the middle of winter on, on legs that have done 50 miles with normally a bit of a, a at least a wind blowing, sometimes a gale, and it's cold and it's wet and, you, and your knees don't want to work. Um, and, and, you know, for me, although I'm always intend never to make a monster because then it's a monster, but you always, I always think just lean forward, whatever you do, lean forward, do not lean back. There's nothing to stop you here. You want to get your hands involved on that oh, yeah. climb. Three points um, of contact. For sure, yeah. Climb up like a dog. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I um, yeah, I, I was, I had a pretty low point going into that. Although getting to halfway is always good. Um, and then I drank a lot of coffee and I was right as rain for a good two or three hours after that. 
and then you know by the time I got to St Ives I was sort of struggling again a bit but you know I knew that I'd kind of cracked cracked it um yeah so I'd say that those are probably the toughest sections I would I would always advise not to underestimate that last bit from St Ives to um Porth Tower you've got a marathon more than a marathon I think to run Mm -hmm. and you you might think well look I can just death march this out but it's a long time if that's what you're going to do and you do have a tough bit at the end so you know don't assume that it's all easy going from there um prepare yourself to to have to work a little bit yeah and I think it's it's quite mind-numbing that section for me um up until the bitches uh, um Tahiti Woods because you you run along those north cliffs and I think it's just so featureless and they've actually tarmacked some of that now as well uh, they've they put have, in yeah. some accessibility paving um and and that's I just find it's dull and it's a, it's a very slow climb from Godrevi all the way up and it goes on and on and on and on and just praying for some change in elevation that's that's noticeable and and if it's cold as well if you've got a northerly wind there there's nothing to protect you it just mm. hits you so yeah, I think you're right. That's certainly not to be. You you can't just kind of um, coast in. You've definitely got to put some effort. And of course, the biggest climb of one of the one of the biggest climbs of the entire course is is at the end. You have to climb up from Porth Tower into the Eco Park, uh, and that's you know known as a bit of a goat trail. Uh, there should be a um, an additional prize for anyone who is seen to be running up that entire climb. I thought you were going to say there should be a ski lift. I, I was going to agree with you. Um, <laughs> I think anyone who can muster a jog up that last slope um, deserves some sort of award because <laughs> it doesn't matter how fast you've been up to that point. You've got just, 100 just miles for, for on your effort. legs. <laughs> did you, um, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't see you finish, obviously. Did you, did you run across the line? Yeah. Or did you shuffle across? No, I ran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran across the line. Yeah, well, you, you you get to the top of that big climb and then you sort of dart through a, like a hedge, um, a couple of hedges and through through a couple of short bits in fields and then you it round like a Narnia. corner. Yeah, you round a corner and then there's a sort of open bit of grass with finish at the end. It's like 100 meters. Mm. So yeah, you run that 100 meters. Well, I did anyway. Um, you could, apart from anything else, there's a photographer there and oh, probably God, really family members, crew, friends, whatever. And um you want to, for those who haven't spectated you throughout the entire race, you want to make it look at least that you've been running the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been going this pace the whole way. It's been amazing. <laughs> oh, do, you, so, do you find when there is a photographer, you do that thing of, um, I certainly do the, the happy face, but they should have two photographers. The one for the kind of big smiley face. And then afterwards, when you just go back to your grimace, I oh, fuck. Yeah, you know, well, back you, on it again. No more covert photographers who capture the real reality of it, like well, you know, well, like Steve Cousins jumping out of bushes and interviewing people. Hello, Steve. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah that that's always fun. Just planning where Stephen's going to be, but yeah, um, just spy cams. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, so you've got you've got numbers there, haven't you? On how many people are running this race? I have. Uh, Tame RD Ferg has just sent me through the numbers and we've got, uh, so the, the entries for this year obviously maxed out, but they've got the Western States qualification. So you need 350 runners in your yeah. hundred miler. Well, that was, quite, a- that was, that was another reason why I decided to switch to the hundred. Um, I did wonder. 
as difficult as it is to get into Western States, you're not going to get in there without doing a qualifying race. So you've got to start the process, haven't you? Well, this is it. I mean, you know, it's all good and well saying, I'll do it it next year. I'll do it the year after. It's like, why just do it now? Just Mm -hmm. get on with it, you know, Um, and move on to other things. So anyway, you were saying numbers. Uh, We've got 350 confirmed hundred mile runners. uh, And there are 200, over 200 on the wait list for that race, which is impressive mm. um so nearly 50 percent oversubscribed about 40 percent oversubscribed um and then there are 280 runners in the 50 with 100 on the wait list oh no sorry 150 on the wait list for that so three uh, what's that yeah another 50 percent oversubscribed so that's that's pretty intense for a race and it sells out very very quickly so we've got in total 630 pairs of feet crossing the last 50 miles or 1,260 individual feet. What's that in toes? It's <laughs> quite a lot, isn't it? Well, actually, well, we never know 12, how many toes 12, people 12, have. 12,600, <laughs> although... Assuming like everyone has 10 toes, maybe, yeah. If, if, it'd be even harder to calculate toenails because a lot of them missing. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting into the realms of Bitcoin now. I don't understand what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> toenails. Um, um, so okay, so that's a lot of people running, which is cool. Um, and who's who's going to win it? I don't know. I was asking, trying to ping Ferg to try and get some um, some names. Uh, and so we've got Charlie Harper, who I think is running the fifty. Yep. James Elson for Centurion Running. Um, he's doing the hundred, isn't he? He's doing. The, he must be doing the hundred. Yeah, Cat Simpson. He did the, the hundred two years ago as well. Did he? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he ran the hundred two years ago. Um, because at the start line, the event was sort of touted as a face-off between James and Steve Wyatt, who I presume is running um, in twenty twenty-two and um, has obviously won it what three times, four times, five times? I don't even know. Possibly four or five, actually. Yeah, yeah, and and won it two we years stopped, ago. We stopped counting when you run out of toes. Yeah, so King of the Ark, as he's known. Um, the pirate. The pirate. So he's always one to watch because nobody knows it as well as he does. He um, has been seen training as well. I've had reports coming in that yeah. he has been so, spotted out there. So Steve White, James Elson, I don't think he trained that much for it, um, but he ran it two years ago. I think he came in seventh or eighth. Okay. Um, and in around about 24 and a bit hours, I believe. Um, but Just it may well be that he's trained harder for it this time. So he'll be one to watch. Uh, um, Cat Simpson and Nikki Spinks is doing the 50 as well. So that'll be interesting because she's rapid. Um, she is. Yeah. Um, Jamie, my brother, of course, is doing the 50. He's doing the 50, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and he's flying at the moment. So, I mean, I, I would imagine the 50s can be a face-off between him and um, Charlie Harper. I don't know if there's anyone else there that might be in contention, but well, Charlie, Har- to Charlie Harper, um, I think he's the current British 100K champion, but whether he is or he right. isn't, he's done some very fast times over that distance. I think he's somewhere around six hours 45 for 100K, um, which is insanely fast. Of course, that's, you know, flat road running, type thing hmm. um and this is a sort of different kind of terrain but um i think he knows trails and coast path i think he might is he even cornish he might be cornish um i don't know so he's it's not like he's going to be a fish totally out of water um and 100k 
you know, 50 miles on the coast path is somewhere comparable to 100k on the road, I'd say, or maybe maybe probably even say 40 miles on the coast path is sort of comparable. You know, if you think, well, a fast 100k time is seven or eight hours, um, this is likely to take the fastest 50k, 50 mile runners somewhere between seven and eight hours, I would say, Mm. probably more towards the eight hour end of that scale. But seven and a half hours is you know, if someone really put in an incredible performance, um, you know, Jamie might well have that in him, 7.45, 7, down to 7.30 something, then that's where we're sort of looking. Um, so it's sort of, I'd say it plays into Charlie Harper's range quite well, given that he's obviously extremely fast, possibly the fastest British male over 100K at the moment um, to be to be doing that kind of distance on the coast path. I guess it depends if they run their own race as well or if they actually, you know, do a battle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And weather's going to come into it and the amount of mud and everything. Um, it was very muddy underfoot two years ago. Um, mm. I will say that. Though we were quite lucky with wind and rain and cold, it wasn't, you know, what the weather, you know, wasn't that brutal. Um, it was extremely muddy underfoot. So, you know, who's to say it won't be that the same or worse, but, it, you know, if it's, if, if it's, better underfoot then we might see faster times um in the 50 mile from jamie charlie harper and in the 100 mile um you know i i'd say there's a good chance that the that kim collison's record is going to get taken um so his his course record should know this don't is it know 22 it. it's, it's 21 something 21 yeah i think it's something like 21 21 20 um that's rapid isn't it it is fast but i i think um it's going to get taken so we mentioned already um james elson there's also um ashley scott is mm-hmm. it ashley scott so ashley came second two years ago and was you know really you know kind of surprised everyone because he came over from i think it's dorset direction um and you know not local but really paced himself very well um i i held second place right through till um about cape cornwall hmm. and then i ran with him for a bit and then he pushed on and he, he eventually overtook steve wyatt and then steve took him back again somehow uh, uh there's a bit of controversy around that i think um uh, in the latter stage of the race and pipped him by i think 10 or 15 minutes so, uh, but Ashley is obviously going to be, you know, back with, um, you know, wanting to improve upon his time um, with a bit of a vendetta, maybe. Um, certainly a bit of rivalry there with Steve. So if he's trained well and pushed hard, then I would say he's he's a hot contender. Well, if we're talking about records as well, of course, Ellis Bland. And then there's Ellis Bland as well, um, which, you know, winner of the plague, 100K, um, and set a new course record by almost an hour. Um he, I would say above anyone else, is probably the one to watch in terms of winning this race and setting a new course record. Um, given that he did the Plague 100, which is a tough course in 10 hours, there or thereabouts, um, I'd be very surprised if he wasn't aiming for sub-20 hours on the Arc 100. Now... It was close he, on the Plague, by the way. He did just pip him by six and a half hours. But um, we were neck and neck at the start. <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he's, he's definitely going to be wanting to set some records and, and win, I expect. 
interesting to see what he's like over that kind of distance. He's obviously fairly well, um, uh, fairly well adversed with, versed with uh, mud and hills and darkness because he's you know he's he's, he's done some um, long FKT type attempts as well through the night. So um, yeah, I, I wouldn't bet against him. Um, but you know, it's it's the job of people like me to make sure that it's not too easy for him. <laughs> <laughs> the disruptors, yeah. Um, but it is. I mean, so so much can happen on that course. There's so many opportunities to hurt something, for something to go wrong, for for something to find your weaknesses. Um, well, nutrition as well. I think um, you know, it's you can. The thing is, you can do kind of like ten hour, twelve hour events and fluff the nutrition a little bit and push through that's what happened to me at the serpent trail you know nutrition bit mm. me in the ass around about eighth hour not eighth hour six six seventh hour um but it didn't matter because there's only a couple more hours to go if you fluff that kind of stuff up on a race that even for the best of us is going to take 20 hours plus mm. um there may be no turning back from that whether it means you bonk or you're sick or you know you just can't get food inside you and therefore you're slowing down more and more that can happen even to really great runners. So there's a lot of different things that can go wrong, um, far more than there are that can go right. So there's, I think, I do think um, there's an element of luck in this sort of stuff. You know, I think you can just be unlucky on the day, and um, and things go wrong. I think just playing out. There's so many variables. That's the thing. It's. Um it's there's so many things that can happen like you say and um it's sometimes it suits people sometimes it doesn't you know some people like cold and wet some people like dry and cold some people dislike the wind immensely some people don't mind it it's 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 just you never know cornwall in january i mean it can be it's been balmy some some days and then absolutely crappy and freezing the next so it's whatever the atlantic throws this year the race that was um postponed um, we had a, a whopping great storm coming. It would have been atrocious on the Arc this year. It would have been one of the worst weather systems we, we'd seen on it. Um, and but the race didn't happen, so we don't know. But um, yeah, you know, and, and it's a long time for the for the weather to change as well. The weather is notoriously changeable. You know, on the south coast you can have very benign conditions, and on the north coast you can have massive pounding swells um with 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 a wind behind it that that really stops you in your tracks so yeah it's it's, it's so much can can happen on this um well the good it, news the good the good sorry the good news is that it's called the arc for a reason um and that is that it arcs around the peninsula so it would be an unfortunate shift in weather for you to have a headwind or even a heavy sidewind for the whole thing um, it's likely that at some point in time, and these are normally southwesterly, these winds, aren't they? So it's, mm. it's likely that you're going to hit the worst of the wind at the start and you might even get a bit of a tailwind towards the end. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I've requested anyway, as in yeah. my note to Santa. Um, <laughs> so so kit-wise, um, are you just using this, the same kit as you did last time or has that evolved? Um, no, pretty much the same as last time. I'll, yeah, I'll carry the same stuff. Um, I've, I, I pack a little bit lighter than I did then. Um, I can afford to do that because I'll have crew stops in between checkpoint stuff um, to switch out stuff, switch out bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll basically pack. I, I think 
trying to think if there's anything I won't be packing that I did last time. But are I you using the belt? So. No, I'll just be using a um, just a pack, a, just a vest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of my kits changed. Not most of it. Some of it's changed. I've got different waterproofs, for example, like all Gore-Tex um, shake dry stuff. Um, I'm trying to think. I think I ran in tights for some of it last time. I don't wear tights ever anymore because I find the chafing is a bit annoying. Um, actually, no, I don't think I did run in tights. Did I? I had um, calf sleeves. I don't run any tights. I've definitely been shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think the main thing with kit, as in clothing, is to make sure you've got what you need for if, it re- if you really start to feel the cold because what you don't want especially if you're starting to slow down is to be stuck on a section of coast path as the cold as you as you really start to feel cold you can't move fast enough to warm yourself up um and you're just getting colder and colder um so you need to be you know obviously mandatory kit shows that we need base layers etc you need to make sure that stuff's actually going to be functional um if you need it and um yeah shoes wise um yeah I, so another another top tip that i would give is to definitely do shoe changes um if you if you've got crew that can help you to do that if you don't then you know sorry uh that's that's unfortunate but i, <laughs> well, would, I would definitely do shoe. <laughs> yeah drop back drop back checkpoints um but the checkpoints aren't necessarily in the right places for the appropriate shoes so mm-hmm. i will shoe change um just before marazion and then change again at um Mazel. Um, so I'll wear, wear road shoes um, for that section. Then I'll change again at St. Ives and I'll probably keep those road shoes on quite possibly right through to, till towards the end um, because the, the coast path um, after hail is really not that technical. Um, and depending on the mud, uh, and this will depend on mud, if it's muddy, then I'll definitely switch back to trail shoes. I might even keep some decent tread road shoes on or perhaps my my Nike um, Pegasus trails, which are sort of road trail crossover. Um, but anyway, I, I, I can make the decision at the time what, which shoe is appropriate. But if part, if two things here. One, you want the right tread and cushioning for the surface that you're running on. And two, it's just nice to be able to switch shoes and feel a slightly different running dynamic, mm. a different level of cushioning, something that changes it. You obviously can change socks at the same time to dry your feet out. And that can be you know, a huge morale boost. The time you're going to lose for changing shoes, which is a minute, 90 seconds, is nothing in the context of a race that's going to take a day. Um, but it can be everything in terms of morale and indeed that, that time can easily be pulled back in speed gains from improved traction or, you know, more comfort from the cushioning that you're getting, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd say if it's something that's doable, at, you know, at the appropriate places, then definitely do it. And even if it isn't do it doable, stick, stick pair of shoes and socks in drop bags, even if they're just more trail shoes, more of the same, something different. Totally yeah, you never know when you're going to have to move away from a hot spot or something like that forming. Um, mm. It can be a, a big change. I changed at Car Haze on the on the plague this year, mile forty four, um, from my Speedgut Evos uh, into back into my Sacconi Peregrine STs, and and that was a game changer for the last twenty miles. Um, just the, the shoes were coming unbearable, and just changing shoes made my feet feel, feel like new. Um, mm. 
massive lift. The other thing I'm going to do, and again, this is you know, not necessarily doable for everyone, um, but I'll, I'll probably have five pairs of shoes with crew and the intention will be not to wear the same pair twice so that I'm always putting dry, fresh shoes on. Um, and cause it, you know, you can switch back to shoes you've already worn, but of course it'll be lagged in mud and soaking wet. And that might, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like so much cause of course they're going to get wet and lagged in mud anyway, but actually for that first five to 10 minutes, it can put a bit of a downer on things. It can lower morale. Whereas a nice warm pair of, of fresh shoes can be the total opposite. And that, you know, little things like this can have a domino effect on your sort of mental state. And I think that maintaining a positive attitude um, is key to getting around these really long races. So anything that might trigger, you know, a, a uh, psychological downturn is probably to be avoided. <laughs> I think just managing temperature as well, you know, having layers that you can, I, for me, when I'm running a, a, a zipped, uh, even a zipped t-shirt is, is essential is, you know, base layer where you can just dump the heat out because you can get quite hot in, in the sheltered sections. You're generating a lot of heat on the climbs. You know, my hat is constantly off in, in January. I'll have quite a tight haircut so I can easily dump heat out the top of my head. I, I run, I, I'm very lucky with temperature. I, I seem to cope with all of it, but I, I know that I can run really hot, uh, in the winter. Um, and so, you know, just being able to dump that heat. Um, so yeah, just being able, being able to and having the willingness to, to change layers when you need to, um, and, you know, not forgetting that if you're using water to cool you, you're dehydrating faster, whether, you know, and, and keeping water out from the outside is one thing, but also not having that massive boil in the bag effect from, from too much water on the inside of everything. There's only so much you can do um i've just got a new in fact i tested it this morning which has worked out really well but i got a new um like a patagonian nano jacket uh which is completely un uninsulated on the back the, the entire back is uninsulated and the underside of the sleeves is uninsulated uh and it has a high collar to keep the wind off your neck um but it's really easy to to dump the heat then with that and so on top of a long sleeve very thin base layer that wicks away quite quickly. I'll have that for the for the night sections uh, with a waterproof over the top if I need it as well. And it's just managing to dump that heat away, you know. So even simple things like taking your hat off when you're hot, um, you know, just taking your gloves off or wearing gloves. You know, if your hands are getting really cold, I've got massive mittens that my crew have, uh, buffalo um, mittens that I just stick over the top of the liners. And so if you, if you have a crew, you can almost have a, a never ending, um, supply of kit that you can just change in and out of. And it's just managing temperature for me. It's a, it's a big deal. It's definitely an advantage having a crew. Um, I know some people purposely don't, they want to sort of, you know, they might not, they might not have anyone at, at all. It's just bag drops and progress that creates more of a challenge and fair play to them. But my my kind of goals with this sort of race is to do everything within the rules that I can to get mm. around it as quickly as possible. And so that means, you know, a crew with a full buffet cart um, and, you know, three <laughs> complete kit changes, uh, you know, half of all the shoes that I own and, uh, you know, et cetera. So, um, well, it's home field advantage, you right? You, we do plenty of races where you go away where you don't have this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's home field advantage. Cool. Um, what else is there to say about this race? Um, 
training, um, I guess. I mean, I, I, how's, how's your training going? Uh, touch wood. Um, really, really well this year. Um, I've had some good race performances um, from from my own perspective this year. I've, I've been stepping up the way I wanted to. I've seen improvements from big improvements from two years ago uh, over big distances. Um, I've just moved into my forty mile week month. Next week goes up, or next month goes up to fifty, and then right at the end of December goes into a sixty mile week um, with some back to backs thrown in. Then just aiming to peak um, just before the race, really, just really managing it. Um, but lots and lots and lots of hills, you know, every, I worked out, I sat, I'm really sad. I sat down and worked out roughly, um, how much elevation there is every 10 miles of the arc, uh, with some noticeable exceptions on the, on the flat sections, but the worst there, uh, over 10 miles is around 1600 to on the very worst 2000 feet for every 10 miles. So all my training runs have been on a, a local loop I've created, um, which I run with Jamie sometimes actually, but it's um, it's a 10 mile loop and it has nearly 1700 feet of climb. So that's been my training run. And I've just gone out and smashed that. I'm not really, the, the pace has come just by running it repetitively, uh, but it's got enough hill in there, enough uh, to challenge me. And, and, and do you run up all the hills? Of the coast path. Hmm. Do you run up all the hills? I do now, yeah. Yeah, and all I do, um, I just change my, I keep my cadence the same and shorten my stride, and I mm. just concentrate on my breathing and keeping my heart rate down. See, I, this is something I've changed with my training. I'm not running up all the hills because that's not what I'm going to do when I'm ra- racing. You know, mm-hmm. I will run up, you know, slight sl- slight inclines, but I'm going to spend a lot of time hiking up very steep inclines and hiking up steps. So I've done a few runs recently around in Cardinum where we've run before mm. and there's some nice steep climbs there and when I get to them I'll just hike up them yep. because I'm going to spend probably four hours in 24 hours maybe five hours hiking right yep and I don't practice hiking I walk around my house I walk up my stairs but I never practice hiking up you know an 80 meter elevation so I figure that needs to be incorporated into the training, fast hiking um, and getting, getting my body used to doing that and you know, getting my heart rate lower when I'm doing that, becoming more efficient at doing that, working the muscles that make me do that rather than the ones that make me do little fairy steps when jogging up those hills. Um, because you know I might jog up some steep ones to begin with, but that is going to end at some point. And then that's when I need to be able to switch gears to this sort of hiking and i want to be able to move up these things with speed mm-hmm. i see your point and and i've done a lot of you know very long distance walks um over the years and i feel that i'm i'm a strong walker but what i want to do is just make sure i've got that aerobic base mm. and so just hour after hour in zone two maybe a little bit of zone three because i'm not always perfect none of us are but it's um yeah, it's it's nice to just have that very low output, and also shed. Christ, uh, within the last two years, I've shed a stone and a half in mm. weight. Um, building the cabin during lockdown helped, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's yeah, it's stayed off, and I've I've switched a number of things up. Uh, um, you know, eating before seven has made a massive difference to how lean I've become. Um, so I'm carrying less weight as well, and I'm just feeling 
movement is really good now. And I'm just literally concentrating on the cadence and the breathing and everything else seems to be coming along. I'm just seeing my time is getting faster and faster. Not not by huge leaps, but the training this year has gone, I think, really well. But yeah, you're right. When you're out there on the coast path, there's lots of sections um, where you have to walk. Um, and it's, I think it's very easy when you're walking those sections to get into some kind of um, a low pace, but every second counts. You know, the, 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 especially at my level in the mid pack, you know, you, I'm not necessarily, I'm certainly not going to be chasing cutoffs this year, but, um, well, I guess you always are, but there's an element of every second counts. And I've looked at my times previously and I have wasted time at checkpoints wasted. And I always thought I was doing quite well, but I'm just watching the flybys on Strava, seeing people streak away. So it's just making sure that everything counts. And when you're going uphill, having that, internal voice saying push hard i take on nutrition on the climbs so that's quite a useful um point for me to to really you know gather some more calories on board and then but push hard you know you can't use the hills as some kind of jolly to to you know nice leisurely pace up there you've got to go for it and then run everything that's runnable i've even got to the point where i when i was changing to running up hills i would run until my breath became ragged and then recover. And then as soon as my breath was under control again, I'd run again until my breath started to become ragged and I lost control. And then I would dial it back again. And that kind of fartlecking method almost up the hills. Um, it, you have to look at traction in, in those situations as well. If you're climbing up a muddy hill, it's just not worth um, wasting lots and lots of energy. It's better to have good foot placement than be slipping backwards and, and losing your footing everywhere. You're going to use a lot of muscle uh, glycogen uh, and energy to if you're running inefficiently or moving inefficiently so it that's race experience though isn't it it's it's knowing where you should push and where you shouldn't and and being willing to change given the conditions that you're in um and it's very different for you know the people covering some of those muddy sections out past Senon, um when like we say there's 1200 nearly pairs of feet gone over it it's, it's going to be a completely different experience to the first 20 runners that go through there um yeah. and also you guys at the front don't have necessarily people to to follow you know you might not be seeing a head torch in front of you or a tail light whereas some people right in the middle of the pack in the middle of the night on the hundred i've been there and you, you look back and there's nothing there and you look forward and there's nothing there how can I be on my own but you are and there's no, nowhere to guide you so and and then other times you look back and there's a hundred tail lights behind you and there's the same in front. So it's everyone has a very different experience on it. Um, but yeah, it's um, the training everyone has gone a very, very different very well. experience. But also everyone has the same experience. Exactly, which is it's not any dark easier and mud <laughs> <laughs> and fun. Yeah. It's always fun. Um, mm. I, I've changed my mentality over the last few years, and I make sure that I have fun on these things, no matter how horrible they are. Um, because I know that I won't always be able to run these things at some point enough's enough. And I just want to make sure that I enjoy it while I'm doing it. Not that I look back later and go, oh, I had really good fun there. I want to know every time I run that I'm grateful for the gift of movement and to be able to do these mm. big challenges in the moment mm. though. It's important to enjoy it in the moment. And of course, smile and, and wave and say hello to everybody in a very happy manner and, uh, thank everyone for running. It's nothing worse than a grumpy ultra runner. 
ultra runner. It's uh, you know, everyone's suffering. Like you say, everyone's suffering. You, you, you grumpy face doesn't tell anybody you're suffering any more than the last person. Everyone remembers the people that run through smiling. And you quite quickly forget the people that run through with a massive sad on. Mm, I'll smile at the end. No, smile on the way through, you miserable bugger. Not going to happen, probably. I'll just <sighs> keep myself to myself. <laughs> um, so nutrition, training, um, terrain we've covered. Um, I mean, this is all the, the basics of this race, uh, the fundamentals, if you like, of it. Um, the, t- the, the, I guess we could do another one of these where we go into um, possible, uh, well, you can't because you, you're competing, but maybe we look at strategies uh, and and how everything's shaping up in in sort of four weeks time or so uh, as we approach it or maybe eight weeks time when we're getting a bit closer and then we'll do a, obviously another race special for it if we can either of us can talk afterwards mm. um but yeah it's um it, it is 10 weeks out and um getting very real now uh really looking forward yeah. to this yeah 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 well i need to sort my training out because at the moment it's uh it's not good really but, oh, um, hang on! You you just done the seventy, you know, eighty miles on a track. So you're you nearly yeah. did a hundred miler there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I know that that bit's not a problem, but I've not fully recovered from it really, and my abductor issue is sort of flared back up again. Um, so I'm trying to keep that in check. It's getting better, but um, it's I'm 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 fine. I'm getting out and doing, you know, running for an hour or more, but um it's preventing me from putting any speed work in because it just hurts when I put power down. So, um, I'm just having to keep an eye on that. But on the plus side, I've now started, um, uh, my strength and conditioning program with Andrew McCauley from ProCare sports. Um, and that's going well so far. I mean, I'm only a week in, but, um, you know, put, putting in some you know, like new movements and strength work that I hadn't done before, and, you know, I'll have 10 weeks of that under my belt by the time we get to the ARC 100. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts things. But I mentioned already about hiking. One of the things I'm really concentrating on is just power in my legs um, because I've got the cardio, I've got the endurance. Um, but I think a little bit more strength down there could really um, be very useful um, on a race like this where, where there's so much climbing and descending. Remember, though, if you're building strength, you also need to increase your maintenance regime. Mm. more work means more maintenance that's for sure um okay well yeah 10 weeks which will be here before we know and we've got that whole festival thing in the middle of it all which is always inconvenient um oh christmas and new year after that so um yeah the christmas thing um Mm. so yeah it's um it will be here before we know it yeah Cool. Well, um, good luck to everyone who's running it and training for it and sort of moving into this peak phase of their training. Um, be uh, interesting to hear from you on social media, how it's going. And um, yeah, and yeah we'll, your top we'll tips, you if you have any line. advice, if you have any advice for, yeah. for other runners out there, throw it up there on, on Instagram and Facebook and all the other places you can find us. But um, right, yeah. that's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, 
please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.